Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him. We'll stop right there. Our Heavenly Father, we pray for wisdom. We pray for faith. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would make us bold in the things of God. Not with pride, but with the holy boldness that comes with the presence of the Holy Spirit, the leadership of God, and the promises that you put into our hands. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would teach us to trust you for great things and to follow you in the leadership that you lay down before us. May we not be tentative. May we not be shy when it comes to the things of God. Bless our thoughts this evening. Bless our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you define faith? What is the definition of faith? Google defines it as complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Is that your definition of faith? It's not bad. It's it's not bad at all. But consider what Noah Webster said 200 years ago. He said faith was belief. The ascent of the mind to the truth of what is declared by another, resting on his authority and veracity without other evidence. From there, Webster goes on for a column and a half with further explanation on various aspects of what faith is to him. I think that is a better definition than what my computer gave to me. But biblicists often point to Hebrews 11.1 as the Holy Spirit's definition of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But is that a definition? What does it even mean? Do we have to define the definition before it can have any effect on us? The word substance in that verse, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word substance is translated confidence in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 14. What if we switch those two things and insert confidence in here? Now faith is the confidence we have in things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Faith is possessing assurance that God will provide something that we, as of yet, haven't seen or experienced. The other word in that verse, evidence, is used in only one other scripture. That Greek word is found only in another scripture that you know pretty well. 
2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The word reproof in 1 Timothy 3.16 is the same word as evidence in our verse. And what is reproof? If it's not proving to our rebellious hearts that we need to do this. The Lord proves it to us. Rebukes us with it, but reproves us with it. So Strong's definition of evidence is the very understandable concept of proof. In other words, faith is the assurance we have in the things hoped for, the proof of things not seen. That's the statement. And it still doesn't make a whole lot of sense. A little bit of sense, but not a whole lot of sense. How can we have confidence in things we haven't received and in things we don't fully understand as yet? How can we have confidence in these things? Where do we find the proof for things not yet seen. There is the crux of the matter. The Christian's proof and confidence for things not yet received resides in God and what he has told us. It rests in what God has declared, resting on his authority and veracity without additional evidence, going back to Webster's definition. If God said it, that settles it. And faith accepts it as fact, even though our hands have not yet handled it and our eyes have not yet seen it. For example... By faith, we believe that God created all things. We see the creation, and we read in the word of God that the Lord did it miraculously in six days, and we believe that because God has told us. We know that Noah built an ark, and I know that for a 100 years or more, maybe closer to 200 now, men have been climbing up into Ararat looking for evidence of the ark up there, And you know, it really doesn't matter. I don't care if they find any evidence on that mountain. God said it happened. God said that's where it is, and so that's the way it is. And we, we believe God because he has given to us an ability to trust him. He has given us a little bit of faith. Well, the same principles apply to seeking God's will. There is a slight improvement that I'd like to make on Noah Webster's definition. You know I have a propensity for improving everybody else but myself. Uh, Here's the improvement. He said, faith is belief, the ascent of the mind to the truth of what is declared. What I need to do, and what I think you probably need to do, is move from the agreement of our mind to the agreement of our heart. When our hearts agree with God, that's when our faith begins to do things. That's when we begin to accomplish things. That is when it responds to what it is convinced is the truth. For example, it is not with the mind that man believeth unto salvation, but with the heart. We can know all about salvation in the head, we can know all about the doctrine, but if we don't apply our heart to it, we are not going to be saved. 
following salvation in living our Christian lives, that second step of faith, moving from here to here, is absolutely necessary. I would like my faith to be as practical and life-changing as Noah's, or as in tonight's example, Abram. God said unto Abram, Get out of thy country unto a land that I will show thee. So, Abraham departed, and the Lord, uh, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. God said to Peter, come out here in the water. And Peter stepped out of the boat. Practical, powerful faith may be unprecedented faith. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God had said to Abram, leave your homeland and leave your family and go to the land that I will show thee. Tonight I'm not in the business of criticizing Abram, pointing out his inconsistencies and sins. It may have taken him a couple of steps to leave Ur of the Chaldees and then stop in Haran and then leave his parents there, his father there. He may have permitted his young nephew to travel along with him, or he may have invited Lot to join him in this journey. But my point is, Abram, by faith, did what the Lord directed. That's what it's all about. I say that this faith was unprecedented because we have no record that it had ever been done before. Perhaps the Lord had spoken in the same way to Enoch, or Methuselah, but we have no record of that. This was the first time, as far as, as we know, God had ever said to one of his people, out, I want you over there. So why did Abram, with all his heart, believe the Lord? Why did he put his feet into action? Why did he obey God without Google Maps and without making a reservation at the La Quinta on the east side of Bethel before he left town. The simplistic answer is he trusted Jehovah. He believed God. Abram had an unprecedented and practical faith in what the Lord told him. Or to use Webster's word, he trusted God's veracity, his truthfulness. He, like many early American Baptists, heard the voice of God telling him to take his family into the wilderness of North Carolina or north uh, uh, to Kentucky or, or, or Oregon, and he did it. God said. God may ask you to do something. Not only something unprecedented for you, but it may be unprecedented, generally speaking. Do it. Trust the Lord for the outcome. But do it. When the Holy Spirit says, go, step out of the boat and down onto the water. It may be a long way to the promised land, but it'll be one step closer after you take that first step. What would have happened if Abram had stayed in Haran? 
Of course, it's a waste of time to consider it. He didn't. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter on faith. Just because, as far as you know, the Lord has never asked anyone to do this thing that he's asking you to do, doesn't mean that the Lord is not asking you to do it. That's the way it was with Abram. The Lord may have a thousand firsts in his plans, and a dozen of them have your name on it. Faith is the agreement of the heart to the truth of what God has said, resting on his authority and veracity without the necessity of any other evidence. God said, go, Abram, and he went. Faith responds to the command of God by leaving Haran at God's instruction. Anticipating things, looking ahead just a little bit, do you know what, I, what Abram found when he got to the place God had designated for him? And Abram passed through the land unto the place. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. When Abram got to the place he was supposed to be, there was God to say, Hi, Abram. Glad you made it. The Lord was there already. That is always, ultimately, what lays at the end of the journey of faith. The Lord himself. Right. Various blessings, sure, but the Lord himself. The demand for practical and powerful faith will sometimes come in an unseen way. It would be wonderful for myself, for all of us, I suppose. It would be wonderful if every divine directive had a chapter and verse to authenticate and empower it. God wants you to do this. There in Psalm, watch and watch, is the authority to do that. And the Lord does a great deal of that, but very often he'll lay things on our hearts for which there is no scripture. But it's still the Lord's word, and it's still the Lord's will. Without a doubt, the Lord will not ask Abram to do anything that is, not con that is contrary to his word. But there may not be a word or a scripture which goes along with the, the new command or the new directive. The Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country unto a land that I will show thee. How did Abram understand his command? How did the Lord speak to this man? Was there an audible voice? There may have been, I don't know. Did God send an angel as he did on a later occasion? On one occasion, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a dream, or in a vision, I should say. Genesis 15, verse number 1. 
And then even later after that, the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre in a physical way along with a couple of angels. So the Lord spoke to Abraham in a number of different ways. How did he speak to him on this first occasion? We are not told. Without the prophet Nathan, who speaks to David, without uh, the book of Philippi, Without the thundering and lightning that was on the top of Mount Sinai, God may have just put a burden on Abram's heart. Perhaps at first he just dismissed it as a wild idea. Where, from where did that come? Just out of the blue. Why do I have a desire to go south? But when he couldn't shake his intense, insane desire, he may, may have mentioned it to Sarai. But she shook her head, remembering some of the other harebrained schemes that uh, Abram had suggested in their marriage. For example, she probably, probably left her mother back there in Ur. And now she's in a heron with his family that uh, she didn't particularly like very well. But there she is. When Abram still couldn't shake it, I, keep, I just keep coming back to this thing. He began to pray. And with each passing day, the burden intensified. There may not always be some tangible revelation and explanation of God's will, but yet it is still God's will. It's God's will that we move to Idaho. I'm not really sure why, but it's God's will. But then when the move has been made, the Lord answers the question why. Several years later, perhaps. 32 and a half years ago, God put a burden on my heart to leave New Mexico and return to Idaho. That call wasn't written on stone, which I used magic glasses that had been given to me by an angel to understand. It wasn't written in the clouds. There aren't that many clouds in that part of New Mexico. It was a burden that the Lord put on my heart. I was convinced of it. Even if I expected it to evolve into something that different, that was different from what we have right now, I went under the Lord's leadership. I came in faith, faith in God, trusting the unseen message that the Lord had put upon me. Very similar to Abram and thousands of other servants of God. Abraham's faith, or Abram's faith, was in some ways unrestrained. For example, it dictated an obedience which involved various levels of sacrifice. Totally unrestrained. What do you suppose his mother thought about him leaving her and moving to Canaan as God's missionary? Were there any tears when he told his parents about God's call and his desire to obey him by faith? They might have cried out, 
What is to become of our future grandchildren if you move way down there? As the couple obediently left Heron, I'm sure that they traveled by way of camel train. But there was no freight car on that train. There were things that they had to leave behind in Heron. They took clothing and pots and pans, I suppose, that sort of thing. But furniture, they couldn't do that. There were things that were perhaps family heirlooms that they left behind. They laid aside family relations. Maybe they had friends in Heron that they weren't going to see again. Just as Schubel Stearns left friends and family when he left Tolan, Connecticut. God has told us to go. Perhaps you didn't hear God's voice, but I did. And we're going. I know that today, the age 75 is the new 60. And in Abram's day, 75 may have been the uh, 30 of that generation. I don't know. But for some unknown reason, the, the last words of verse number four just jumped off the page at me. Maybe it won't you. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. He was seventy-five years old. Age may be important to us. It's important to the kids. They want to be a little older. It's important to some of us that we, we wish we were a little younger. It's, it may be important to us, but age does not mean a thing to God. Not at all. The Lord gave a baby to Sarah at the age of 90 and fatherhood to Abraham at the age of 100. God doesn't care about the age of people. He just says, trust me, obey me. Abram, the septuagenarian, might have thought, Lord, I believe Help thou mine unbelief. Who am I to be making a journey like this? As I've said, Abram didn't exactly know where he was going, and he didn't call ahead for a reservation. What was faith to him? Faith meant obedience and action. Because God had planted his will in that man's heart, Abram, believing and trusting the Lord, told his wife, start packing, we're leaving. Then they mounted their camels and pointed them toward the south. And you might say that Abram, on the lead animal, held the reins rather loosely, because he didn't know exactly where he was going. We'll just let the Lord point this camel's nose in the direction the Lord wants it to go. He took one step at a time. One after another after another. How much do you suppose after hearing God's commission and now they're, they're on the road seeing the same old countryside day after day, how often did Abram think about the promise God gave to him? I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. 
and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Of course, we know that the man of God should have obeyed God's voice without these promises. And you and I should obey God whether or not there are blessings and curses uh, attached to obedience or disobedience. But what if we just mix something else into this equation? Abram would never have become Abraham if he had not acted upon his faith. And God's promises of greatness would never have come to fruition if Abraham's obedience and practical faith had not been carried out. There will even be more prerequisites laid out before it's all said and done, but if Abraham or Abram had not left Ur, there would have been no completion of these promises that God made. But more importantly, if Abraham had not stepped out in faith, all of the families of the earth would not have been blessed. Don't we want to be a blessing to people? And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Under thy seed I will give this land. Don't we want uh, to see our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors Saved by the grace of God? Don't we yearn for revival of the things of God in the great Northwest? Don't we pray for God's blessings on the missionaries as they're taking the gospel to all the families of the earth? Then it is imperative that our faith move forward. These promises are not going to be kept if we don't move forward, at least By way of illustration, we have a long way to go. We are not yet residing in the promised land. We are not yet bringing our nephews out of bondage through miraculous victories. We are not defeating the kings of Sinar and Elam and Elisar. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. That's the one we serve. We are not producing sons in our old age as Abram and Sarah did. And what is the reason? What is the lack or what is the explanation for our lack of great victory? Isn't it because we're not living and acting upon unprecedented, unrestrained faith? Or maybe I should say with this faith. We have work to do. And... We can only do it well if we become children of faith as Abraham was. And as Paul was, who said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Don't limit that verse to the practical aspect of your faith. It belongs, excuse me, don't don't limit it to the theological aspect. It belongs in the practical area of your faith. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. 
It is a long way from Haran down to the promised land. And uh, Abraham, you're not getting any younger. It's time to be moving. Let's go forward.